Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years now, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild. Well, he is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, creative flex diet cert, physiologic flexibility cert, and associate professor at the Kerrig Institute down here in South Padre Island, Texas. Are you going to retire down there? You are always down there. Uh, we just got here uh, <laughs> like yesterday, so we'll be here for uh, several weeks. So we're down here hanging out, kiteboarding, and working from here. So I like to visit it. I would not want to be here during spring break or during the middle of the summer but uh for spring and fall it's really nice <laughs> i got her um anyway um everybody a little bit of uh we have some mail and news the mail is actually going to ignite a conversation today about uh, testosterone therapy like what's it actually going to do for you uh, as a young man or an older man or that kind of thing we've touched on this before but we got a listener mail again and that will uh, kind of set this off. I did want to read something from, uh, we got a, a donation, and I appreciate this uh, very much, from Anthony. He just said, um, Hi Lonnie, Mike, and Phil, and of course Fortress. I just wanted to take a moment to say thanks for all the great programming you provided through Iron Radio over the years. I appreciate the quality of the education and entertainment that you put out there uh, for free each week. It's a pretty rare thing to be able to listen to a podcast every week for over a decade straight, and it's really a gift that you all have given the strength and fitness and muscle sport community. I'm sure there are days when finding guests or recording the podcast or dealing with web hosts can be a real pain in the ass, so thank you for sticking with it all these years. Keep it up. Best regards, Anthony. Um, So that was nice. I appreciate that. Uh, he also says, P.S., thumbs up on the Iron Forum. Uh, I never got into any of the old fitness forums back in the day, but so far it seems like it'll be a good place for a, a fitness hobbyist like myself to learn from others with more experience. So, cool. Very cool. Uh, our other mail is going to set off uh, the news. So, this is from Spencer. He says, not sure if you've covered this uh, in previous episodes, so... Uh, you could just refer me there, uh, but short answer, Spencer, no, we we haven't ca- talked about this specifically, but it says, I'm interested in red light therapy for testosterone maintenance. 
that is enhancement or skin improvement, wrinkles, anti-aging, all of the above. I'm a 35-year-old male, and I would prefer to avoid the T replacement therapy, which I do not need at present. I have had my testosterone levels tested also. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Well, on your behalf, Spencer, as we are wont to do here, we're going to throw in our own you know, analysis, of course, but a little bit of evidence-based uh, thoughts. So I, I pulled a paper, a couple of papers. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This one is from just through Science News. Uh, European College of Neuropsychopharmacology. So, lack of interest in sex successfully treated by exposure to bright light. Now, one of the things you might be thinking, Spencer or other people, well, that's not the same thing as red light. No, it's not. Bear with me. Um, it says exposure to bright light increases testosterone levels and leads to greater sexual satisfaction in men with low sexual desire. Uh, these are the results of a pilot uh, randomized placebo-controlled trial. Now, I'm curious how they did the placebo-controlled thing. I mean, if you're getting bright light, you know, maybe they're messing with the wavelength or something um, in one group or the other. But it says low sexual desire affects significant numbers of men over 40 um, Significant meaning up to 25% would report problems. Uh, and again, that depends on age and other factors. Scientists previously noted that sexual interest varies according to the seasons. And just a side note here, like editor's note, I have looked into this extensively in the past, and I find studies all over the place about when T levels uh, rise. I don't want to use the word spike because I'm not sure they're going to do that. Um, and they're really mixed. Some people say more in the fall and, you know, with the increased in calorie intake. And I've read in the spring. So, you know, I, I feel like the, the seasonal data is all over the place. And frankly, is it enough to matter, right, from a lifting perspective or a robustness of life perspective? It says now a group of scientists from the University of Siena in Italy uh, found that regular early morning use of a light box, similar to those used to combat seasonal affective disorder, led to both increased T levels and greater reports of uh, sexual satisfaction. Uh, so this goes on a little bit. Again, this, I got this at sciencedaily.com. They say, we believe there may be several explanations for the underlying mechanism. For example, light therapy inhibits the pineal gland, and that may have a cascading effect that allows production of more testosterone. So this is a 2016 um, paper here. So this is a bright light, and that is something that I don't think would surprise too many people. Uh, I think there are multiple benefits of the whole light box idea, especially when you first wake up. And, Mike, I know you have some thoughts on that. Um, next is a paper from Biswas and colleagues. It looks like it's the Nepal <laughs> Uh, Medical College Journal. This is 2013. So again, you're not seeing this all over the place. You actually have to dig quite a bit to, see, to find this. Effects of continuous light on spermatogenesis and testicular steroidogenesis in rats. Okay, so this is rats. Possible involvement of alpha-2-U-globulin. says male rats exposed to continuous light for 70 days showed an increased weight of the testes, accessory sex organs, and serum levels of luteinizing hormone and testosterone. It says prolonged light exposure also stimulated spermatogenesis in these rats. And, of course, we're talking about uh, functions separate from just, you know, your Leydig cells making testosterone. 
These results suggest that alpha-2U globulin possibly stimulates the male gonad by inducing pituitary gonadotropins in continuous light-exposed rats. So those are a couple of papers I looked at on just phototherapy, right? Photobiology is, of course, a thing. Uh, I think a lot of us feel the effects when the days get longer, like right now, and you're like, oh, man, it doesn't feel like freaking midnight when I get off of work, <laughs> you know. Um, and then – And I think this might have been part of what popularized uh, the look into red light specifically, of course, being longer wavelengths, right, red light. But this is published in Men's Health a couple of years ago, 2017. Uh, I put a giant light on my balls to triple my testosterone levels is what this says. And I think this is not completely responsible kind of um, journalism, but okay. Um, Let's see. The author here, uh, I spoke to a physician that I know, Dr. Oli uh, Sovijarvi, a Finnish uh, physician at a biohacking conference that he hosts in Finland. Well, all right, I'm a stick in the mud, but already I'm raising an eyebrow just a little. But okay, you know, I mean, Mike, you go to all kinds of sort of what I would consider frontier kinds of conferences, so – I don't want to be such a you know jerk that I'm super skeptical as soon as I hear biohacking conference that somebody hosts. But turns out that since those initial sunshine studies, and again, I wasn't able to find lots of these, but photobiology is real. Um, more studies have investigated the effects of direct sunlight exposure to the torso, which increases the human male's testosterone levels by anywhere from 25 to 160 percent, depending on the individual. I'd be down with the 25% thing. That that could be possible. Um, sunlight exposure directly to the testicles, to the testes, reportedly has an even more profound effect. Again, but that's from proponents of this, right? I would like to see more data myself. I haven't seen the data. Maybe they are out there. Um, but it says this is particularly true of a special form of light called red light. Too much exposure to sunlight, especially sensitive areas of your skin, like your family jewels, uh, would create sunburn and excessive radiation or inflammation or damage. And I think the idea here is that red light would get around that, right? It's longer wavelengths, 600 to 950 nanometers. Um, and according, again, to, according to red light therapy proponents, red light works to stimulate ATP production in these Leydig cells, and that could provide more energy Uh, to crank out more tea, apparently. This sounds a little bit, I don't know, simplified in in my mind, but, you know, maybe longer wavelengths could probably penetrate deeper. I don't know if that would make your your scrotum really hot, warm, or something like that. It's important to note there, there are currently no light therapy devices on the market cleared by the FDA to enhance production of testosterone. So... Uh, just some stuff straight from the literature versus what the fitness community is, is hearing about it. Uh, wh- what do you think, Mike? I- I- I'm guessing that as an engineer and someone who's open, you know, trying to be open-minded about a lot of this stuff, what are your thoughts about light therapy versus the red light therapy straight on your your balls? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, at this point, I, I kind of agree with you. I give it a huge... Maybe. Um, I did my master's in mechanical engineering, and my thesis was actually doing exposure to microwave 
uh, radiation on monkeys. <laughs> so gigahertz transmitter type stuff, uh, which is a little bit different than light. But uh, like you said, Lonnie, I think when we're looking at like sunlight exposure or white light, for lack of a better word, I always look at the studies and then look at, are you getting some people who may have circadian rhythm dyssynchronies back to normal? I, you've got a bunch of people who are at kind of the low range of normal and they do some light therapy or they go out and watch the sunlight or they get more sun exposure, their circadian rhythm gets better. Ooh. And then their testosterone went up. All right. So if you're not looking at the studies real carefully, you could say, Oh, white light increases testosterone, but that may only be if you had a circadian rhythm issue and then it may not necessarily get you to a high normal either, depending upon your background, genetics, et cetera. So you could argue that it's still raising testosterone, but for someone whose circadian rhythm is fine, it probably wouldn't have the same effect. Uh, red light, as you mentioned, is different. It's a different frequency. And in terms of direct effects on testosterone, there's only been a couple uh, interesting animal studies I haven't found, I just actually looked again today. I didn't find any studies uh, related to it with uh, humans and testosterone. Maybe there's some being done. I haven't seen them published yet. I have some uh, friends who remain nameless who have tried this and have seen an increase in theirs. Um, I have tried the photobiomodulation, the red light, and I do like it. I think there are some uh, benefits to it. I did measure my testosterone before and after. Granted, I'm just doing a two-panel uh, exposure in the morning in my underwear. I'm not putting it on my nutsack, so maybe I didn't do it correctly according to the article, but I wasn't, I don't know, that made me, <laughs> that made me a little nervous to go quite that far. Mm -hmm. um, again, I didn't see any difference. Uh, I did find that like aerobic stuff was a little bit better. I tended to feel better. Uh, there is a fair amount of data on photobiomodulation. It comes in all sorts of different flavors, too. You can look at low-level laser therapy. They all kind of operate on a, a similar idea with slightly uh, differences. Um, in terms of photobiomodulation, there's some really pretty fascinating stuff for recovery with uh, muscle, some stuff with collagen enhancement. And I think it's pretty interesting. I think there's enough studies in terms of uh, muscle recovery and potentially performance uh, that it might be useful for that. I've had a few friends pick it, pick one up, and they've seemed to enjoy it so far. Uh, the downside is that exposure times, you need to start relatively low, but you can work up to maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes a day, depending on how close you are to the panel, how uh, powerful the panels you have are. So it is a little bit more... Uh, time-consuming and the one thing I've noticed which again is completely anecdotal was that people who had a fair amount of exposure uh, to sunlight were outside a lot uh, they didn't see any benefit from it the benefits I saw were in people who normally like myself or in more northern uh, climates didn't yep. have as much exposure outside mm -hmm. again I haven't seen anything published on that but maybe there's some other mechanisms at play there too and then the last thing, which is interesting, which I, I haven't found any literature on, and I've tried this repeatedly on myself multiple times, the areas that I hit with more intense uh, red light, they seem to get more sore but recover faster, which I know seems like an oxymoron. It feels like I get much better uh, recruitment in that area. And so some of the specific lifts I was doing, like from mid and upper back, 
Uh, my performance on the lifts went up quite a bit faster than when I wasn't doing it. Uh, I would get more of that muscle soreness, the DOMS in that specific area, and then it would uh, go away very fast. And I've tried that on different uh, muscle groups, and it, again, maybe it's just my wiring, but it seems to happen there. So I wondered if there's something with, if it is increasing ATP locally, like the uh, cytochrome C oxidase and those different pathways, if that maybe is allowing you better recruitment and faster, you know, turnover of the cross-bridging cycling in that area and potentially local performance too. Yeah. Uh, because my dissertation looked at sort of the um, leukocytosis of exercise, I wonder about recruitment yeah. of neutrophils. When you talk about DOMS, right, I'm thinking about maybe right. those differential leukocyte subsets, right, or, you know, white blood cell infiltration into the area, Um Usually that would be something that would that's going to occur over a day to five days, uh, frankly, depending on what kind of white blood cells. And I don't know if it would have a different chemotactic effect. I'm just trying to think of all these different mechanisms, you know, by which you you might modulate soreness or or whatever. But there's a lot of you know, listen, people are biohacking everything they can think of, basically. You know, taking this engineering approach. I just saw a video uh, recently. They were talking about Neuralink, and um, if you're not familiar, people, Elon Musk, yeah. is, he's got the idea of a robot that can insert micro circuitry, right, literally uh, in your skull and tiny wires into your uh, gray matter without causing bleeding, and it requires ridiculous accuracy and everything. But the idea of interfacing with computers and at first, you know, to try to fix, sort of to your point, Mike, fix things that are subpar, things that are broken – but eventually people are talking about interfacing with the internet and all this stuff. But the point is uh, there's, there seemed to be some tension between the engineering approach, which is an iterative approach, not unlike the scientific method. But then some of the biologists are warning Elon Musk's, you know, or the brain surgeons like, you know, you, you can't treat a, a dynamic system like the human body in quite the same way, you know, and it, you can't just hack everything. It's not that easy. You know, we've got people out there right now trying to do CRISPR uh, modifications on themselves because they hear it's simple, right? So, I mean, I, I, where do you think we're going with the engineering and the biohacking, Mike? Do you think it's going to be a valid strategy overall, or do you think the bi biologists are right and they're like, uh, you're messing with stuff that's, you know, it, it's more complicated than that? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's one thing, like in nutrition, the same idea, to replace something that is a deficiency and see an increase. It's another thing to try and go above and beyond baseline. Um, obviously, you can if you look at you know drugs, both legal, illegal, different other methods. Um, but to get past single-digit percentages, oh, the first thing I always think about is that there's there's no free lunch, <laughs> right? Your body's going to try to come back to homeostasis and. You know, just the different things that we already know about, say like, you know, testosterone, if you go, you know, super physiologic levels, you're going to have the consequence of shutting down your own production. So I always get kind of nervous when you are purposely looking for things that have a higher effect size and you don't know what the cost of that is, right? I mean, at least with testosterone, we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen with it. But with newer stuff, right, especially what you're talking about with Neuralink and CRISPR and genetic engineering and I I don't know, <clears throat> kind of freaks me out. I know people are going to do it and performance. There's always going to be people pushing the edge 
looking for that. But I mean, heck, we're even still discovering brand new myokines that are released by muscle that we didn't know about even a few years ago. So it's like, what are all the things that we just have no idea we may be messing up in the process, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's more of a fatalistic idea. <laughs> I, I think over millions of years of evolution, we're dealing with biochemical systems that even if you look at us like organic computers running subroutines and this and that, right? Whether it's Neuralink and, you know, I, I heard, I think it was Ray Kurzweil said, you're not thinking about what's happening within a neuron, almost quantum level stuff that happens with thinking, you know, it's not quite as simple as the circuitry might appear, what, right, which is the, the current engineering approach, or like what you're saying with hormones, how many different things, like these different um, globulins these researchers are talking about, and these, you know, negative feedback loops that work like a thermostat, and they're only going to allow so much of a hormone, you know, to happen. Um, in fact, that, that uh, men's health uh, article that basically said 160% increase, I can almost guarantee you when you look at the data, that's not young men with T levels of like 800 nanograms per deciliter, yeah. you know, more than doubling, adding 160% increase to their T levels. Is if, if somebody had a 200 on this thousand scale, and I would, I would suggest people just think about the the T and anagram is per deciliter, like on a thousand scale. If you're under 200 and you're officially hypogonadal, then a 160% increase. Okay. I could probably buy that. Yeah. Right. Um, or like you were saying with light, if you live in the dark, you work a uh, night shift or something like that. I think the light therapy might be especially interesting. And we were just talking the other week uh, about applying light directly to muscles along with like what you were saying, Mike, uh, mm -hmm. and this stuff keeps emerging. And I'm just going to wait for a certain weight of evidence, I think, right? We don't – we're not going to change our practice dramatically based on one pilot study or a rat paper, kind of what I was digging through here recently. And I'm sure there's probably more. Um, but I get concerned when I hear more or less lay fitness journalists start going off the rails saying they're going to triple their T levels and – to your point, I mean, we have to think about all of the methodology, and that's what most people don't want to look at, right? Uh, in what exposure dose, over how long, population specificity, do I live like a vampire, you know, or, you know, am I all, always in the sun already? Do I already have high T levels already? Am I old? Am I young? I mean, population specificity, I think, is one of the first methodology questions a lot of people should ask themselves before they start strapping red lights to their balls um, <laughs> and the reason i did it too is that i found that there's a fair amount of data on photobiomodulation not necessarily to the to the nutsack but to body exposure for at least a long enough period of time that i felt comfortable that there wasn't much of a negative downside unless you go you know too hard too fast too soon um in terms of the upside i agree it's it's still a big question mark but that's kind of one of the things I always look at personally is, do we have enough data to at least make an informed decision on the downside? Maybe not necessarily on the upside, but at least I feel relatively safe that we understand what could potentially happen and we're still trying to sort out, is there a positive with it? And by definition, if you have something that's completely brand new and there's not much data on it, you don't know either end of that curve. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that makes me just a lot more nervous. Yeah, it's almost like we're back to the 
the pro-hormone era, you know, or yeah. the SARMs, <laughs> or, you know, some of these are probably going to have an effect, and some of them are going to have mostly side effects. And that's why when they – I'm glad that at least in that men's health article, they did divulge. Listen, the FDA hasn't approved this. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I've I've found fault with FDA's decisions before, but at the same time um, – yeah, it's it's not approved as safe and effective. Uh, even if it's not dangerous, to your point, Mike, and people aren't going to literally not be able to have children or some terrible side effect, yeah. then um, uh, is it worth the cost of what you did in time and discomfort or money? Um, you know, it's like a lot of dietary supplements. They're not going to hurt you, but most of them are, are kind of a waste, to be honest. Um, but I was going to ask Phil. Phil, I, you had bought like a light box kind of thing before haven't you why did you do that uh, well i got lights right above me right now that are uh what are the full spectrum daylight full lights spectrum. Yeah. it's just because i'm in a cave all day <laughs> uh, i don't get near as much sun as i used to so i'm my office is in the basement and i'm there for at least eight to ten hours oh boy so yeah. i just figured it can't hurt you know <laughs> um i'm not putting them on my junk but they're just right above my head and i figured for the cost, I don't know, it was like $45. Uh, it can't hurt. <laughs> oh, that investment. And I got a plant right next to me growing. So now in my office where it wouldn't grow before. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just don't get near as much sun as I used to. I'm not out there enough. And so I figured, especially in the winter, when when I do get out, you know, I'm in here a lot of times before the sun goes up. And I don't leave until after the sun goes down. Um, yeah, it's not going to hurt me. To get some some UV exposure. I mean, there's mm-hmm. tons of there's tons of science on that. You know, you it's light exposure in general, not on your junk. So right, right. Uh, and I still take my vitamin D and things like that, but uh, I figure it can't hurt. Yeah. So yeah, that's a moderate approach that I usually like. I think in old age you become you sort of walk the middle path. It sounds sort of Buddhist, maybe, but. Yeah. You know, you're not strapping some device onto your crotch, you know, but you're yeah, just, you're going to work. I turn my light on anyways. So right. it's like, yeah, you know, I, I turn that thing on anyways. Let's just switch bulbs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're going to so, work in a light environment. Yeah. So it just makes more sense to me as a physiologist. But again, I because I'm not an engineer and that's why I'm glad we have Mike with us is the whole light into your eyes, pineal, you know, biorhythm, uh, that kind of thing makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but messing with particular wavelength and hoping for a certain depth of soft tissue penetration and what that would do to something like ATP production, I, I'm 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 just you know I think that's kind of dubious at this point. But you know maybe I'm being too skeptical. Uh, like Mike says, if there's if there's not much of a downside except you you waste money on a device or whatever. Um, a fair amount of time I spent trying to figure out like the. <clears throat> definitive sort of mechanistic study as to how exactly does red light work and maybe some of the listeners can send me some stuff but i've i keep generally coming up relatively short like i've gotten out on as far as trying to figure out how it affects the different complex one two and three and the mitochondria and i i can recite all the stuff that it's supposed to do but i can't find a mechanistic study that kind of shows that so Someone has it. Let me know. I think ultimately, we're you know, what's the biological significance of it, right? And I think that's what we'll talk about after the break: is what can boosting tea 
actually do, you know, to a young guy or an older guy or even a gal. Um, you know, bodybuilders and powerlifters have taken pharmaceutical doses of testosterone or its derivatives for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, pharmaceutical doses are not up for debate that they're going to have a profound biological effect. Um, But to think that you're going to try to get enough stimulation, I mean, bodybuilders used to play around with just um, LH boosting kinds of supplements, not not just supplements, but even meds. You know, they literally take things to stimulate their own production, but it would never, never approach because, again, of a lot of of these feedback loops, um, the magnitude of biological impact of injecting even – 250 milligrams of mixed testosterone esters a week would be astronomically higher in what it actually did to you, you know. Um, so that's what we'll talk about. After and the last break. part real quick, I was able to find one study in humans, actually. This was just published in December 2020 uh, in Photobiomodulation Photomedical Laser Surgery Journal, which I don't know how the quality of this journal is, but uh, Full Body Biomodulation Therapy to Induce Faster Muscle Recovery in Water Polo Athletes, Preliminary Results. Um, the good part was this was they attempted to do it as um, randomized, parallel, double-blind design. They had 13 athletes from a high-level water polo team. Uh, but in short, they found that the the parameters for the full body uh, biomodulation uh, did not induce faster recovery of inflammation, muscle damage, except for there was some LDH changes, uh, did not change testosterone, cortisol, HRV, or neuromuscular response during repeated days of water polo matches. Um, I haven't pulled the full study yet, so I don't know exactly what the dose used or any of the other parameters. It sounds like they just did this as an adjunct during the uh, 2019 under 20 water polo championships. <laughs> mm. so again, they might be, I'm guessing relatively young people too, but uh, at least the human data looking at it didn't show any results. But again, I don't know the caveats of the full study yet. Right. Uh, wh- who is the first author on that, Mike? Uh, first author on that last name is Zagato, Z-A-G-A-T-T-O. I don't see him on this list. A few weeks ago, I there was a paper that I, I talked about. It's a 2016 uh, MJ Phys Med Rehab. Effects of light-emitting diode therapy on muscle hypertrophy, gene expression, performance, damage, DOMS. Uh, this was a case-controlled study with a pair of identical twins. But they said mm. the LED therapy can be useful to reduce muscle damage, pain, and atrophy, as well as to increase muscle mass. But again, it's yeah, more of a. That's what some of the other day I've seen says too. Single case study, but yeah, the direct application is interesting. I just, yeah, people can go back and look. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we just kind of jammed through that one. But I guess maybe we we stay open minded and say, listen, keep an eye on this stuff. You know, if it's an inexpensive, low risk way, yeah, I think you know, raise it. We'll talk about this, but I think raising your T twenty five percent if it could do something like that. That could help especially if you're low T or yeah, you live in the dark or again population specificity. But um let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back we'll actually talk about what boosting T actually does. We've all met a lot of people who, you know, use pharmaceutical doses or HRT, you know, why people might fear or shouldn't care about HRT, you know, stuff like that. So uh, we'll be back. 
Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it right everybody we're back it's phil and mike and lonnie and we are just gonna have a discussion about what boosting testosterone can actually do i think it's worth noting that if people are strapping lights to their nutsack and they're doing all these different things and you know sunbathing in the nude whatever they're trying to do um what are you actually going to get out of it if in fact it, it raises your uh testosterone levels um and i think the first thing we need to point out we, we alluded to this already is is it in the normal physiologic range? You know, um, where on that thousand scale nanograms per deciliter are you um, to begin with? Um, because it's highly unlikely you're going to have huge increases that you'll notice if you're already at like 700, 800, you know, like let's say a 20-year-old male might be, you know, dripping with testosterone mm. versus somebody who's – 200 250 or 300 and they're feeling fatigue and loss of sex drive and and all that kind of thing right so uh phil in your travels what have you noticed even if it's anecdotally just experientially about you know potential benefits mood fatigue sex drive uh, power lifting efficacy um what have you seen 
Mainly, I mean, for people that are clinically low and then they get that fixed, it's not the magic pill that most people think it is as far as like, oh, they're huge in a month. Mm-hmm. It's the general life stuff. They feel better. Sleeping's better. Mood's better. Um, energy's better. You know, just general life stuff is where is where the most benefit is, comes from. And that then feeds into, uh, of course, if you have more energy, you're better slept, you're in a better mood, you just generally do more stuff. <laughs> and then that leads to you being in better shape uh, by itself. I mean, and I think, you know, talking about this subject, what I see right away would be a bunch of people going out, not fixing their current issues. Like they have a shit diet, shit sleep patterns. Yeah. They don't train. And oh, I'm going to put red lights on my balls and make myself totally better <laughs> without fixing anything else. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem, really. I mean, if people would just look at that, hell, just get more sleep. And a lot of the stuff's going to fix itself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but the number one thing is, I mean, if you're going to a bringing yourself back to a let's say natural level you're just not going to get huge automatically what you're going to do is if you are physiologically low general life is going to be better is what i've seen with people i mean because trt has become big and yes there are people and there are companies that abuse that um they just say trt just so they have a legal way to be on stuff yeah uh, <laughs> there's lots of companies like that but people that are genuinely you know in trouble and low it's it's not the magic pill that gets them full you know they don't turn into ronnie coleman overnight they just <laughs> right. feel better no right so, um yeah yeah uh, years ago i i said something on uh the t nation forums about how i'm not I'm not convinced that an old body processes high doses, pharmaceutical at least, levels of tea like a young body. And I got a lot of crap for that. And I'm like, now really? that now that I'm in my early 50s, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's <laughs> it, uh, like my, my, my doctor, one of his specialties is men's health. So I'm like, I'm going to go with this guy. So young Japanese guy, great guy. He – um. He's like, well, you know, Lonnie, you realize, and Mike, you might have seen this in some of the autopsy type of things you've done, cadaver stuff you guys, you guys have done. Mm-hmm. But um, he's like, when you're in your twenties, your prostate's like the size of a walnut, and by the time you're your age, Lonnie, it's like an apple. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> and what I didn't fully appreciate is this natural growth, and eventually, most guys by their late forties, certainly mid to mid fifties, most guys have differences in urine stream and things like that. Oh, yeah. And it'll freak you out a little. So I feel like going back in time to myself when I wrote that, right, on the um, the T forums and being like, no, I was right. <laughs> it's like you can't go hog wild. Your PSA levels are going to go up. You've already got an enlarged prostate. You just have to be more careful, you know. Oh. So you're put on you're put on like a, a transdermal like T pump or something. You're not like, woohoo, I can self-administer this and I'm going to burn through a month's worth in a week. Well – then I hope you can pee next year. You know, um, <laughs> there's going to be there's going to be like you were saying, Mike. There's going to be a price. The bill comes due because after millions mm-hmm. of years of, of evolution, homeostasis is in place for a reason. You know, um, you know, there's there's issues that crop up. But having said that, am I against TRT for an older guy? 
uh, listen, if your T levels, you try to get all this stuff in place, you know, you're eating well, you're sleeping well. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's face it, there are some things like work stress and work schedules that are hard to control. Uh, but I, you can meditate and do all the things. And if your T levels are still under 300, then for F's sake, go get on some TRT if you can possibly afford it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know that some people wouldn't want to do that because they don't want to shut down their, their nads and end up with, you know, tiny testicles and have no um, ability of their own. Because make no mistake, TGL can get very expensive. Mm-hmm. I've seen costs before insurance, $800 a month. Jesus. Oh, 400 to 800 a month. Boy, you better be yeah. getting some result <laughs> out yeah. of that. But at the same time, I think for an older guy, there's a lot of benefits. Like your joints might not hurt, you know, um, muscle. You feel more energized. Uh, I did hear a physician on YouTube recently. He's like, all these guys in their 50s, they're getting on TRT and tearing tendons because they think they're 15. Mm-hmm. I'm like, don't be so smug. There's a lot of guys out there. They know exactly what they're doing. They're educating themselves on this stuff. And, yeah, they might tear a tendon because they're suddenly they have a lot of energy. Maybe if they, they've never exercised their whole life. <laughs> but anybody who's exercised for a long time, they're not going to say, I'm, I'm just going to put 315 on the bar and, you know, rip. I don't, I don't <laughs> think they're going to do that. Um, maybe some guys do if they're very inexperienced, but that's their fault uh, in a sense. But, um, well, and I'm, and just on two of these subjects, first one, I, I've had several clients in their 70s that uh, they were on. TRT, and then one in particular that was paying, oh God, I, I think he was paying $1,500 a month. Wow. And he was on TRT, but then he was on also very low-dose daily GH. And mm. the dramatic change in like two years. Um, and he, we're not talking, he was not at, his levels were not above normal. Um, they just brought him back to, you know, what was normal, like six, 700 on the T, and then yeah. one, one IU of GH a day. His hands and everything. I mean, he was a much younger person within two years than yeah. he was prior. I'm fascinated uh, by that GH stuff. Oh, it's just so yeah. expensive. <laughs> but and that's where the most of his money was. But I think so too. And but it's. I mean, I think the biggest thing is not being at super maximal levels. It's just getting you back to yes, right to normal levels. high normal. From preferably. what I've seen, he can do a lot of bad too <laughs> at higher doses you know gh gut and everything like that the other thing i was going to get on is just the age thing um it's no secret that i run in a crowd of people that are very open about their use of drugs and uh you know with the the west side guys and everything else they just talk about it um uh, without naming any names like you were talking about with age there's numerous of them that have talked to me and they're like i just can't do it anymore the side effects from when i was 25 to now when i'm 45 Mm. are astronomical. They're, you know, yeah, I just, they're I, worse. I tried and I can't. Yeah, they're like, I just can't do it. You know, I, I, it goes horrible. So, and I don't know what it is there. I'm not a biologist or whatever, but uh, it's definitely, there's something that happens. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. And you're hearing it straight from yeah. the guys too, which means it's feelable and noticeable, like whether it's a yeah. side effect or whatever. These guys aren't. Yeah. Enough so they're just like, I won't do it anymore. You know, whereas they used to take it like candy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I think you got to ask, why are you like if you're let's say you're 55 or 60 and don't get me wrong. I I remember being blown away how impressed I was at the um, there was a powerlifting pro powerlifting meet in West Virginia um, Mountaineer Cup. And Ed was there cone and was competing in the squad against these 
old, like, you know, the big gray beard kind of like Russian guys. And I was blown away uh, that they're still squatting, you know, nine-ish. Um, yeah. Just crazy. Uh, but, yes, at some point everybody has to decide, what am I doing? <laughs> like, how long yeah. do I want to yeah. do this? Uh, if it's going to lead to other problems, tears, spinal degeneration, you know, prostate problems, you know, whatever it might be. Am I popping Vicodin so I can keep powerlifting yeah. at the same level? I- I'm not sure that's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where's it worth it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think of it like what Ed Cohen said. I think that you only have so many max attempts in your life. And it, it just seems like people who get on, you know, stuff and go in the super physiologic range, it, it's like putting nitrous in your car. Like you can only, it appears to do that for a short period of time. And it <laughs> seems it like up. at some point, yeah, before yeah. you just start blowing yourself up. <laughs> yeah. Mike, it's a, actually a good point. It's, I remember, oh man, when I was in my 20s, just talking to guys and kind of formulating in my own mind. It's like, oh, okay. So the old school guys that I used to read about in the magazines would cycle androgens there was a downtime during the year and then but it was also in that era where you started to see seeing people go on and stay on like they would say i'm off and when you you know i'm only (laughs) taking a couple cc's of windstraw a day what you know that's not all you mean you're off the gh for a while is maybe you mean (laughs) yeah but um yeah and i'm not going to name names but i remember a couple people talking about that uh, you know, just from memory, uh, increasingly cloudy memories now, but uh, and just being blown away, like, oh my god, that's not off. And, you know, and some of these are people I really admired, and so yeah, I started realizing they go on and they stay on. They can't afford not to, because you watch people like Gary Stridham. You remember back in the day, he shrank down to like two hundred pounds, and he looked like a a boy. He looked like a child yeah. compared to his normal self. Uh, but Phil, to your point about GH. Um, Honestly, this might shock people, but I would have a very serious discussion with my doctor if he would prescribe low-dose GH at this point in my life. I'm only early 50s, but I would take a good, hard look at that. I really would because of the combination. I remember Stallone, he got caught trying to bring a bunch of GH back from Australia, as I understand it at least in the media. And he's like, you don't understand. It's the fountain of youth. And to be honest, you could kind of poo-poo the guy because he's just an actor. But no, I think he's speaking truth to power there. Mm You know, yeah, I think so too. Uh, especially if you're world. like him, you have the money and yeah. you, your physique and what you can do and perform and everything that literally is your career. I mean, you could argue it's like a professional athlete for what True. he's doing, True. You know, yep. ethics and everything else aside that it, it actually is related to what he's doing as a career. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's these guys careers. I've seen some transformations yeah. out of Hollywood people and you're like. You can't help but speculate, you know, oh, a little bit of clenbuterol going on there, you know, or something like that. (laughs) You know, they get kind of hard and lean real fast, even a female. Let's talk a little bit about boosting tea. Let me cut uh, uh, short to – I haven't mentioned this to most people if they're not like uh, supporting members and whatnot, but it's been out there for years. There's a little link. If you click the word virile at at the middle of the page on ironradio.org, it'll take you to an – it's not a a very high audio quality thing, but – uh, I actually did a little recording about boosting tea and things in the literature where you can actually boost your testosterone realistically. And when I say realistically, I mean, yeah, not looking like the cover of a magazine. Um, but there's a couple of things in there. Uh, and I think some of the biggest effects are things like 
eat, eat enough fat in your diet. Don't go on a super low fat, high fiber diet. That's going to probably shave 15% off. You know, there's a couple of problems with that kind of stuff, but I've never been a fan of herbal testosterone boosting supplements and there's plenty of them out there. Um, Phil, I'm guessing, have you ever dabbled with tea boosting herbs and stuff like early on or, or not ever? Well, yeah, when I used to get them for free. Oh, that's right. You would have got for free. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah, that would have Texas Tribulus and all that crap. And yeah, I never saw anything. No, I mean, uh, yeah, no. And the science is is going to support that too. You could find the rare study sponsored by a supplement company that maybe there's a X percent increase. But I I can pretty firmly recommend. I wouldn't go that approach. I think just uh, diet and sleep is probably you know like I said, getting enough calories. Uh, fasting and low fat diets are bad. High fiber, low fat diets, and lots of fasting. That's going to suppress your LH. You're not going to get the signal down there to your testicles to make the tea. Um, those are the things that I would focus on, not some herb. But, uh, Mike, do you have a different take on this, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the data on it is just not super impressive. I mean, back in the day, I did try some of them. Uh, a buddy of mine who worked for a supplement company, he was developing one, so I would uh, do blood work before and after. And in his case, mine went up a little bit, but at that point, who knows what it was related to and my testosterone at that point because i was doing my phd was literally 180 200 it was Oof, horrible yikes <laughs> because of lifestyle issues and massive stress and stuff so i don't think there's much difference i think in some cases you may see a difference because they'll put things in like like zinc and some other things where if you were really deficient and you've replaced zinc there's you know a couple of the old zma studies one of basketball players where you can see an increase but Again, that's a deficiency getting back to normal. And even then, like you guys are saying, if let's say you're at 400 and you go to 600, right? Is there any data that says that that's beneficial? Like yeah. the only piece of data I could find was an old study by Bazin where I think they chemically castrated men and then gave them, I think it was testosterone and anthate and tried to put them back in different ranges and yeah, if you're hypogonadal and you get back to a normal range, even if that's from 200 to 400, that's a pretty big difference. A lot of people from blood work I've seen feel amazingly better and are shocked that their number was only 400. Um, but if you're going four to 600 in that group, they didn't really see much of a, a difference. So I, yeah, and even then you've got all the studies from, you know, Dr. West from Stu Phillips lab where you know, lifting and increasing testosterone temporarily. <clears throat> Some of Bill Kramer's stuff, it definitely happens, but didn't lead to any, you know, greater changes in uh, hypertrophy or strength or anything else. The caveat with that is that you're talking about very, very short-lived, relatively high outputs. But again, if you're looking at chronic base levels, I don't know. I mean, I've got, you know, I've been able to see some blood work from very high level baseball player and recently a very high level UFC fighter. And a lot of times they'll tend to be on the lower range. And we've, you know, in the case of the baseball guy, we've been able to do a few things uh, through the work of another guy, you know, all natural stuff because they're tested that it slowly has gotten better over time. Um, but again, a lot of that is also based on the athlete. If they think that they're going to have an issue at 400 and they want to see 500, yeah. I could argue all day that that may not matter, but 
mentally, maybe it is better for them. If they hit 500, now they can go, oh, okay, I'm good, and then worry about something else or not worry about it. So they have all those aspects too. Yeah, I would think, this is anecdotally, but I would think that doubling from 200 to 400 or from 400 to 800, you're going to see differences in muscle fullness. You know, if you're a, a middle-aged, experienced lifter, you know, like when Spencer contacted us, you know, he's 35. I get it. You might not want to be on HRT at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point yeah. as you age, though, I think you're going to lean harder and harder into it if you're going to do it carefully. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I can see – in. Like your back feels better, your joints feel better, your muscles are fuller. I really think that's going to happen, even within the physiological range. But I'm going to ballpark. I know this is this is not scientific, but about a doubling, like you said, from 200 to 400, or I'd even argue from 400 to 800. Um, 800 is pretty high, you know. And so you're 35 to 55 year old guy. You're going to be like, ooh, okay, yeah. you know. Um, and you could just feel uh, it's the fatigue. I was really stricken when I was talking to uh, physicians over the years about it. Low T is such a collection of symptoms. It's not just – I remember yeah. one doctor I spoke to. He's like, well, it's only impotence. And I'm like, that's absurd. Yeah, no. You know? Yeah. So you're an idiot. Um, yeah. Let me talk to somebody who understands endocrinology a little bit better. Are you be- I, now, I have a lot of respect for medical doctors, but what he was saying was just flat wrong. And then you talk to some of the more modern guys that do men's health. They're like, no, it's a, it's a collection. That's why they call it a syndrome, right? It's a collection of signs and symptoms, fatigue and aches and, you know, yes, sex drive, uh, lots of different things. But it's not just about sex drive. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. A colleague of mine talked about the benefits of blocking uh, testosterone. And I'm like, um, no. Phil, you and I were just talking about that, what, last week or the week yeah. before? It's yeah. like, um, no. <laughs> no, even if even if I go through this natural progression where I eventually have a big enough prostate, it causes problems and that sort of thing. I still rather live life in a, in a robust way and be able to, you know, have the privilege of lifting at least moderately heavy, you know, or lifting period, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But one thing that I've suggested for years and nobody ever listens to me because they're 20 years old and they don't have foresight and. <laughs> you know, they don't realize the love get blood work. Yep. Get blood work when you're at your best. Yeah. And then because the biggest problem for me when they did put me on, everyone's different. Like I guarantee you that Mike Tyson at 18 had higher testosterone than I did. Yeah. He just did. <laughs> Probably there a good are guess. people out there that are physiologically different, and that's how their body's wired. So yeah. if you had a number from when you were 18 or 20 or whatever, now when you're 45, <clears throat> you can go back and get me back here. My body knew how to run there, and it ran really well. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And then you have real numbers to bring a doctor and be like, look, I was at 585 when I was 18. Now I'm at 290. Let's go back there. You know? Yeah. And it's somewhere that your own body knew how to be there. If you're um, if you get your doctor to listen, because I remember T.C. Loma said yes. that once and he's like, get your baseline and then the doctor can bring you back up to it. I'm like that that the requisite for that is to find a doctor willing to do so. Who will. Yeah, right, but I think know. there is more now than ever before because you're starting Agreed. to see all the clinics and stuff pop up. But, yeah, because when I went in, I was at 42, and I was a lot like Mike. Jesus. I was, uh, in graduate school, yeah, it was the lowest he'd ever seen. And he put me <laughs> on gels and brought me to, like, 100. And he's like, oh, it's great. We more than doubled it. We'll stay there. I was like, what are you talking Not about? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get me to low normal at least. Come on, man. Well, well yeah. we doubled it. That's great. Well, yeah, but it's still a third of normal. 
Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. if we're going to do it, let's do it. Right. You should be able to shop around and somebody to say, yeah, yeah. If, the, if the transdermal's not working, then a shot once a month or whatever it is um, and, yeah. and do it properly. Yeah, because I've spoken to doctors too. They're like, oh, you know, 295, you're fine. Yeah. No, not fine. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> But that's a good point. But I wish I had numbers, you know, because the hardest part then is, you know, is going through that time of, you know, you want to take enough to get you normal, but when when does your body start making a bunch of estrogen? Oh, know? right. And you overspine. Not that balanced because I don't want to be on an AI for the rest of my life because, uh, yeah. you know, you're, then you're throwing pills at pills. No, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Aromatization problems and, oh, yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, it's tons of people do that, I mean, with pills. Like, oh, I'm going to take this medication and i got to take four other medications to combat the, the side effects. The side effects. Oh, the side yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be that. Yeah. So. Hey, um, one more for you guys, and I know we're out of time here. What about women on like T replacement therapy? I can't really speak to this. I've spoken to women bodybuilders before, pros and high level amateurs, and I can tell you what what pharmaceutical doses of androgens do to those mm-hmm. those gals is remarkable. It's almost like the, the receptors in their body are like, oh my god, what is that? You know. And of yeah. course, there are ones that are. I'm going to use this term very loosely, more appropriate than others, you know, than raw tea. Um, but usually you could see dramatic transformations in women because they've only got about, what, ten, one-tenth the, the, the tea levels mm-hmm. of men, not even probably. And so when you introduce that into that system, it's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. Um, but, Phil, have, have you seen anything on women just, you know, just legal TRT for yes. women? Yeah, I, have, I, I won't name any names, but I have several that are – uh, have gone on TRT. The harder part for them is just it's so low dose. Um, it's administering it correctly because um, you're talking like uh, two milligrams, you know, mm-hmm. whereas with a guy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it's the same thing. It's energy and and sex drive and you know basically the same thing as bringing a man back to you know regular levels. Uh, the main benefit is the rest of the life stuff. It's not the physique drastic physique changes it's energy it's quality of life it's sleep it's mood uh things like that which of course those then do feed into you know if you have more energy better sleep and you're eating better and you just feel better you're going to train better so that changes your physique um it's a you know it's a whole bundle of things uh not just not just one thing but but yeah i mean it's been and that's becoming more prevalent now too i think you're seeing more and more women, like Suzanne Summers, is a huge proponent of that. From what I've read up on, as a tea replacement for women, but it's usually for them, it's like it has to be a gel. You just can't <laughs> inject a small mm-hmm. enough amount. So you know they have a gel they put on once a day, and you know it gets them back to normal. So, yeah, I would think yeah, for women lifters, it, it, it could be remarkable. You know, um, mm-hmm. just going from I don't know like a. Uh, on this thousand scale, what are they probably 20 to begin with yeah. normally or something? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it could be amazing, I, I would think. Um, I, yeah, I, you know what? Being responsible, and we have a little uh, caveat, little disclaimer at the end of the, every episode, but, you know, this isn't medical advice. These are just some of the things that we've seen. Talk to your doctor. If you yeah, don't like what your doctor is saying, fire his ass and talk to one who's going to talk some sense to you. And I don't mean, I, I'm not saying be a drug seeker. My wife deals with that sometimes in psychological settings people are kind of med seekers you know and they farm around i'm not saying to do that 
but work with a physician who is listening to you. Um, and you could probably, you know, mm-hmm. um, get, find something relatively transformative or and, and yeah, get at into least a find age. somebody that's well-versed in it. <laughs> a lot of just mm-hmm. have no clue. Um, so, yeah, an endocrinologist, um, a women's or men's health, uh, somebody who lists that in their qualifications. Yeah. Yep. Your gen, yeah. your general practitioner is probably not going to have a clue. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And it goes without saying, if, if you go to one, obviously we've only been talking about <laughs> testosterone here because that's the theme of the show for this week. But all those things are going to play a factor from, you know, thyroid to free testosterone to estrogen, the types of estrogens, the amount. When did you do the testing? Did you, you know, just brutalize yourself in the gym at the end of a eight week mesocycle? And that's why your testosterone is low. So, you know, when did you get measured? Did you train the day before? What is your sleep like? If you work with a good physician, they're going to look at all of those things in addition to other markers other than just, you know, testosterone. And my pet peeve or what I tell people is at least work with your doc to try to figure out what is potentially the cause. Like you were saying, Phil, if sleep is good, stress is good, everything else is as good as you can get it. Ask your doc if they can figure out what part of that testosterone cycle is breaking down. Because I think that'll be more useful than, oh, yeah, you're just low T. Here, just take a bunch of T. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Primary or secondary hypogonadism. There's a lot of stuff right, there. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that's like I ended up getting MRIs and everything else done because we were trying to figure out, okay, now why? Yeah, exactly. You know, why? So, yep. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks, Spencer. You you set us off on that little yep, there you go. tangent. So. So, you know, personal opinions, but also some evidence just, you know, from real literature versus, um, you know, magazines and things like that. I did want to say one last thing. I The first time I heard about GH and testosterone combinations was from a very famous researcher, Kevin Yurashevsky, at a Canadian conference. Mm. This was not some edgy. This is just sort of the usual dry, boring physiology conference. And he, he said what you just said, Phil, an older gentleman – by accident, uh, he they put him on T replacement. He was also on GH replacement. Didn't tell anybody, uh, and he said the transformation was remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. hope, <laughs> I hope to God that this becomes a little bit more prevalent. Like the the T gel has become more prevalent because mm-hmm. it could do amazing things to prevent disease and keep yeah. people functional and whatnot. So. Yeah. Yeah. And my last super quick comment is if people travel, especially if travel opens up again and you're traveling internationally for long periods of time and you may have to bring, you know, some of your compounds with you, just be really, really careful and know where you're going. I've heard some <laughs> stories of certain people who luckily they, they got out of it, but they had been using, you know, testosterone re- replacement. I think it was a nanthate. And now they're four weeks in another country going cold turkey. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so. All right then. Do your homework. Yep. Okay, guys. See ya. See you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters. The athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, 
you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.